welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What are the other adjacent fields in tech that we should be worried about when we think about open source sustainability? These are some of the questions we're going to get through today. Super excited to talk to our guest, who I'm going to introduce in a second. Before I do that, I want to make sure you know who the voices are on this podcast. I am Richard Litauer, your host. Hello, everyone. And I'm joined today by my co-host in crime and all things not crime, Justin Dorfman. Justin, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm recording from a very hot van in New Zealand. So if there's cars driving by or if I suddenly passed out, now you know why. I'm sorry. Let's just move on. We have an amazing guest on today, Anjana Vakil. Anjana is joining us from her home in San Francisco, where she is a freelance developer out doing awesome stuff in the world. So Anjana, how are you doing today? Hi, doing fine. Thank you. Very excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited. We've been trying to get this to happen for a while. So I'm just really excited to have you on. We did it. Yay. Woo! So Anjana, we actually met a few times in Saarbrücken, Germany, where we both went to university, weirdly, a long time ago. (laughs) And you went on from there. Yeah, what a strange place. (laughs) I liked it. But it was very like backwater Germany, which is cool. You still do some work in Berlin, right? Yeah. So I actually divide my time between San Francisco and Berlin at the moment. So love Germany, love being over there. And yeah, it was a strange how small the world ends up being that we first met back in the day in the computational linguistics department at the University of Saarland. And now here we are on a podcast talking about open source. So very fun how small this industry always turns out to be. Yeah. I'm looking at your bio. So you've written... Anjana suffers from a chronic case of curiosity, which led her from <laughs> philosophy to English teaching to computational linguistics or computer linguistic in German to software development. You are a Wickler of Ents. As an engineer <laughs> and educator, you mostly code and teach from your home base, but you travel around a lot and you talk about the joy of programming and advocate for a more equitable and ethical tech industry, which is awesome. So you have a lot of different areas that you're an expert in. I want to talk about the Recurse Center and Outreachy to start. So the Recurse Center is formerly known as Hacker School, is a community based in New York City in the U.S., but now living its best virtual life, as are so many communities. It is, I would say, a community first and foremost, but it is also a retreat program. So similar to how writers sometimes go on writing retreats and meet with other writers and focus on their craft and all have their own kind of goals and journey that they take during that time, the Recurse Center offers these, you could say, writing retreats for programmers. So basically a space and again, previously in New York City, but now a virtual experience where folks can go to get better at coding, computer science, programming, their career, whatever it is that they're working on. And so unlike a boot camp where you'd have courses and a very strict curriculum and certain teachers or instructors, who, and then certain people are students so learning from the instructors, none of that applies in the Recurse Center. It follows kind of an unschooling ethos to education. So everyone who goes there is completely in control of their learning experience. It's a self-directed learning retreat. There are no expert teachers that learners just receive knowledge from. 
instead, everyone learns from each other and everyone kind of supports each other in continuing their learning journey, whatever stage they're at, whatever topic they're interested in, whatever goals they have for their time there. It's all self-directed and it's all really kind of a different way of approaching learning, I think, in the tech field, especially. So it's a really unique and kind of magical community with fabulous people doing all kinds of things in all different areas of computer science and programming. And I could not recommend it more highly as a kind of life-changing experience and amazing community that I was lucky enough to be a part of when I did a batch there, as they call their retreats, in 2015. So I've been involved with the community since then. And there are also some really great kind of spinoffs, you could say, that have come out of the Recurse Center community, including a conference series called Bang Bang Con. It's written exclamation, exclamation con. And uh, that actually just happened this past weekend at the time we're recording. So it's an amazing conference series. I highly recommend checking it out. It'll also give you a sense of the Recurse vibe. But you can read all about the Recurse Center at recurse.com. So I'm sure we'll have that in the show notes. Bang Bang Con is amazing. Highly suggest yeah. for anyone who goes there. I've been to it once. It was really, really fun. My friend Rafiq, who I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, made a zip drive orchestra that would play the zip drive in and out using the engine of the zip drive according to any MIDI file you put in. So it would be like, which was amazing. <laughs> Just saying it's a fabulous Sorry, conference series. So much joy, excitement, and surprise comes out of their talks for me. I'm biased. I love that series. I've spoken there. I definitely had the pleasure of being a participant and speaker in this 2022 version and just really, really couldn't recommend it more highly. Same as if I can't recommend more highly the Recurse Center, which is a totally life-changing experience for me, like I said. So yeah, huge fan, huge. So I want to know what you studied at the Recurse Center when you were there. So when I went to the Recurse Center in 2015, I was contemplating becoming a professional software engineer. But as you may have gathered from my bio, etc., I did not have a background in computer science. So I had been studying computational linguistics. And before that, I had studied philosophy and I'd been working as an English language teacher. So my background was not the traditional CS degree. So one of the things I focused on during my time at the Recurse Center was in filling gaps in my kind of quote unquote traditional computer science knowledge. So doing data structures and algorithms, kind of cracking the coding interview type stuff, and also digging into a little bit the, the some of the things that I found fascinating about programming, especially learning different programming languages. And perhaps this is my perspective as a philosophy student and linguistics enthusiast and researcher interested in the wide variety of human languages. I also became fascinated by the wide variety of programming languages and perhaps more generally or on a higher level programming paradigms. So I started, while I had been doing almost exclusively object-oriented programming up until that point, I started learning more about functional programming from my batchmates at the Recurse Center. And that just kind of like opened up a whole world of different uh, rabbit holes to dive down and So I started learning functional programming. I started learning more about programming paradigms and about different models of computation and the way that different programming languages kind of expose those models to their users, to developers, and became really fascinated by all of that. And I also was studying JavaScript for the first time in any kind of serious way. And so I decided to you know, why try to simplify your life by learning one thing at a time when you can make your 
brain explode by trying to cram lots of different stuff into it at once. And so I was focused on learning functional programming through JavaScript. And that became something that I continued to kind of be fascinated by in the years followed. But yeah, those are some of the things I focus on, essentially some foundations of the kind of traditional computer science curriculum, functional programming and programming paradigms and JavaScript. I love that. And I love that methodology of going around the world. What can I do? How can I get interested? Oh my God, there's so many things to learn. All the things to do. Um, <laughs> one of the things I'm really curious about. Okay. So this is a sustaining open source podcast. So generally we talk about what is open source and what is sustaining. And here you're talking about all this knowledge and learning, philosophy, computational linguistics, and then functional programming and in particular JavaScript. Now, mm -hmm. Functional programming in JavaScript depend upon computer languages, which have been invented in the 60s, 70s, et cetera. And JavaScript in particular tends to actually follow an open source license, right? It's ECMAScript. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to learn these languages by being involved in communities where the source code was available, where you could learn about other people's code and you could see it. It wasn't proprietary. It wasn't locked away. And so one of the questions I have for you is as you were going along this journey, did licensing ever come up for you as something you were interested in or that you noted or cared about? How did you interface with open source code as you started learning about all these different types of things you could do with computer languages? Yeah, I would say that for the first time at the Recurse Center, I was exposed to kind of the wide world of open source. I think I had a GitHub account and I had been making an effort to make my project, the software that I had developed, for example, as a computational linguistics researcher in order to facilitate my research and publish papers and things like that, I had understood immediately kind of the value of, well, A, version controlling everything and making things available and sort of started to be frustrated at how difficult it was to find open source code, even from the scientific community. So when I was in computational linguistics and when I was working in kind of an academic context, became really mystified at how difficult it was to find other people's code, even when it had been publicly shared or let's say the findings from it had been publicly shared through research publications, journals, et cetera, conferences. The code itself wasn't made available and that made life a lot harder as a researcher trying to build on other people's work. So I think when I got to the Recurse Center, that was the first time that I really kind of had my eyes opened to how open source communities can work together to kind of not only make the code reusable and publicly available to learn from, as you point out, but also to make that a commitment, I guess, that a community can make to make sure that things are kind of open first or open by default, as it were, and to really think about opening up that sharing of what you're working on is as part of the overall project planning or kind of like the, the baked into the actual doing of the work, if that makes sense. So for example, when I was at the Recurse Center was the first time that I ever contributed to a large open source project or really tried to. I had been trying to make my code available online, but it was still projects that I'd been working with just by myself or with maybe a few collaborators in the program I was in. But for the first time, understood what it means to find a large open source code base somewhere else that someone else has been working on and, and making available and then submit a PR and describe it and help them let you help <laughs> with what they're working on. So all of that, I really credit the Recurse Center community with kind of holding my hand through and like opening my eyes to. Um, and largely also part of that experience of learning how to contribute to open source and learning how open source projects kind of work on a larger scale 
I would definitely say came from the outreachy program that I was introduced to while I was at the Recur Center by some of my batchmates there. So outreachy was probably my first experience, I would say, with wrapping my heads around terms like licensing and understanding that different projects had different ways of, let's say, structuring their Git commits or different communication channels where work gets done, right? Some folks in GitHub conversations, sometimes in IRC, sometimes in other places. And so like, there's really so much to wrap your head around when you're coming into open source for the first time that I think it's just so essential to have somebody there kind of talking you through it and helping you understand it. Because I think I would have been completely overwhelmed to encounter all of that, even as someone who felt just sort of intuitively very committed to let's open all this up, let's make it as easy to find and learn from and to contribute back to as possible, it still can be really overwhelming. So I was lucky to have that community and those two programs, Recur Center and Outreachy, to help me get into it. Outreach is amazing. We've had some Outreach podcasts on the podcast before. We've had some people mm. who've organized and some people who've mentored for it and some people who've gone through it. It's definitely one of these amazing programs that really helps people figure out where they want to be in tech and what's going on. As I'm yes. learning about listening to you, I'm really tuned into how excited you sound about tech and not just about technical solutions to say, but the process of learning about it and about how much support you've had over the years from people at the Recruit Center, from Outreachy, definitely from professors and people in Saarland. So mm -hmm. one of the questions I have for you is that it says, I know you're interested in equitable tech and the amount of support that you're seeing seems to me disproportionate to how much normally happens. Do you feel like open source in order to really get involved and to keep the fire alive of learning and not just get bogged down and trying to figure out how to do PRs and all these different things? Do you think that support is necessary? And also, what are your feelings about like equity in open source and getting people to get into it? And how can we make that happen easier? So the question of equity in open source and in tech more generally is definitely very important to me. And I think is important to so many people in our community, especially folks from marginalized backgrounds. So as a woman in tech, as a woman of color in tech, the issues of how difficult it can be to get into an industry that has a pretty specific image of who is thought to belong and who is thought to succeed. It's definitely near and dear to my heart. And I absolutely, without question, had so much privilege and luck in my experience of transitioning from a career as a English language teacher, English and foreign language teacher to software developer. There were so many things that I was lucky to get help with and to have supportive communities that could enable my transition there. And there was so much material support that I was able to receive. For example, I would not have been able to go to the Recurse Center, which was at the time operating as an in-person retreat in New York City. The Recurse Center does not charge tuition. There's no cost for participating. But if you are going to be in New York City for three months, there is a cost associated to that. So I was very lucky to receive one of the grants that they had a program set up to support living expenses for members of underrepresented groups in tech who were Amazing. interested in coming to New York to do the Recurse Center. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And without that, I would not have been able to participate at that time. And so I think programs like that, programs like Outreachy, which offers paid 
internships, regardless of where you are in the world, they are going to actually pay you for your work over the course of three months, as opposed to so many internship programs, both in the tech industry and in other industries are unpaid and require folks to have some kind of other financial support and the time available to be able to work full time with no income. And that's just not achievable for so many people. And it really limits and makes less diverse the group of people that are able to take that route. And so programs like Outreachy and programs like the grant programs at Recruit Center that allow folks to be able to kind of get their material needs met and receive compensation for the immense amount of work that they're doing in a program like Outreachy and makes it accessible to folks that are doing this great work from all over the place, from all over the world, in the case of Outreachy. That is so crucial, I think, to enabling folks to get the chance to be involved in open source. Because let's be honest, how many people can afford to write code for free in their own time? That requires a whole bunch of circumstances to align that allow someone to have their material needs met, allow them to have the free time and space to work on what they choose and not have to be, let's say, dealing with caregiving responsibilities or other logistical constraints that would prevent them from, let's say, finding internet to be able to participate in an online conversation, whether synchronous or asynchronous. All of these sort of considerations are things that I think programs like Outreachy and Recur Center are just showing such a great way to kind of level the playing field a bit and to be able to make it more accessible for folks who have those constraints on, let's say, their time or their finances to find pathways for them to be able to get a foot in the door and find a community that can help guide them through their first steps into participating in this huge world of open source. So the mentorship that programs like Outreachy and in my case, the Recurse Center also provide and the material assistance that grant programs and funded programs like Outreachy provide, I think are so crucial to getting a more representative open source world that looks more like the real world that we all live in. I love that. It's really great to talk to you because I feel like I've known people who've gone through these programs before and it didn't change the status quo very much. But it's great to talk to someone who is a minority, who is a person of color, who was able to get these grants and say, no, it was really helpful for getting my career off the ground, for getting me into this field. I mean, my career, I don't know what would look like. I'm not saying that this was the only path into tech for me, but this was my path into tech. The Recurse Center, which led me to Outreachy, and then Outreachy, which gave me my first full-time internship as a software engineer, which also helped me attend conferences. And I would definitely say another great source of help that I got along the way was diversity scholarships to attend conferences in the tech space. I made so many connections and even got my first job offer through a connection that I had made at, I think it was EuroPython, at a conference that I believe Outreachy had some follow to open source conferences. So it was through this sort of chain of programs that were aimed at supporting people from underrepresented groups getting into the tech field that for me, those were my path into tech. And without those communities without those connections, without the network that I built by being in these spaces and going to these conferences and speaking at these conferences and things like that, I would not have the career that I have today. I don't know what it would look like, but this was my path. And I really hope that more people can 
a find out that is an option because I just sort of stumbled onto it. So I love for folks to learn about outreachy and programs like the Recurse Center and whatnot, but also for people who are thinking about how to really make this sustainable, which is the focus of y'all's work, of course, to be thinking about just how important what feel like small levers like that can be to individuals when they're trying to get toehold in a very difficult (laughs) climb up into getting started in this industry. On that point, which I love, you don't work right now in open source in the sense that you're not working for a company that only provides open source. You're not a maintainer of a major project. As far as I'm aware, you might nope. be. Okay. <laughs> nope, cool. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> no, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> There's many, many reasons that we've covered over the years. Um, but yes, one of my questions I... for you about like open source communities, right, is... I've always seen this perspective over and over. Oh, I got to get more people in my community so I can have maintainers and I got to get more funding for my open source projects. But you sort of come from the other side being like, yeah, I use open source kind of as another rung on the ladder to like learn more about things. And it was really cool while I was there and I submitted some PRs, but then I went on and quote, got a real job, (laughs) right? So I'm just curious how you think about open source being sustainable or like what tips would you give for people who are in open source projects that would want to help out people like you, but knowing that you're not going to stick around forever. Why is it important to help out? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think in general, any community, whether or not someone becomes a member for life of whatever community it is that you're running or central to, you want people to walk away, I don't want to say better than when they came into the community, but you want it to be a mutually beneficial experience for everybody, right? So if someone new comes into your community, whether that is an open source project or conference or some other thing, and then they spend some time there and then they leave, you want the outcome from that time there to be A, everybody felt supportive and part of a supportive unit for each other. And B, there was meaningful contributions on both sides of that coin. So this person was able to meaningfully contribute to the open source project, let's say, And the open source project was able to meaningfully contribute to the experience or maybe resume or general life (laughs) of the other person, the person who was a member. And so for me, I mean, I think open source has been something that's just sort of always, always there, always a part of what I'm trying to do. You know, I think also as educators, I consider myself an educator first and foremost, I guess. And in terms of sharing knowledge and making things accessible, I think, There is so much that open source projects can do to support people who aren't even opening issues or engaged in any way in the discussion, let alone contributing code or documentation or any other kind of material contribution. There's so much that open source projects can do to help people understand what is going on in this project. What are its goals? What are its aims? How does the code base work? What are some of the architectural decisions? How are those made? How are decisions made here? How do PRs get selected? Or what is the code review process? Or how does one choose what features the team, given its limited resources and limited amount of time, is going to work on? How do all of those things work? So I think the more that projects can do to kind of publicize that, whether it's by, let's say, having a maintainer come on a podcast like this and talk about it, or having really great readmes, or having really great issue templates and PR templates and things like that, Whatever levers the project has to pull to be able to explain to people more like this is what we're doing and this is how we do it. 
I think can already just be such a huge help for people who are trying to figure out how can I be a useful helping hand in not only this project, but in the wider tech and open source community more generally. So there's that side of the coin. Then there's also the question of how mentorship and how involved the maintainers can be in coaching people through the process of becoming contributors or becoming even maybe like core members of teams that are working on this project. And in that sense, again, it can be, of course, if there's the luxury of time and funding to do something like sponsor an outreachy project, which is a three-month full-time intern coming into your project, including a couple of months of application time before that, where communicating with different folks who are interested in applying, you're helping them make their initial contributions, you're helping communicate to them what's working, what's not working, what direction to go in. And then when you have the intern come on, you're essentially managing them as a project member. Of course, if you have your project has the means and the ability to do that, hugely helpful to have that kind of one-on-one mentorship, which is one of the amazing things about the Outreachy program, which is why I always encourage folks who are eligible, who are interested in getting started in open source or in tech to look into it and to apply. But if you're not able to make that huge of a commitment, I think there are other things that you can do. Like for example, when you have a call with somebody who's maybe a close kind of friend of the project who just put up a PR and you jump on a call with them and let's say go through a code review on it, But then none of that actually ends up kind of written down in the PR discussion. Some changes get made and then the PR gets merged and no one really knows why those changes got made or what the conversation was or what other routes were considered. Some projects I think are really great at doing everything in writing, doing everything, all of these decisions in the open. And so folks can go back and read those conversations and really learn what it took to shape this PR into something that was ready to be merged into the code base. But a lot of times it doesn't happen that way for various reasons. But if there's anything you can do, like, I don't know, stream that conversation or take a few notes and just sort of write up a little summary for anyone who might happen to randomly come across this repo three years down the line when digging into some random rabbit hole one night. Anything that you can do to kind of like expose that higher level of decision-making process around code changes, around features, around solving bugs around the process of actually maintaining a repo as well or project. I think anything that you can do to share that more widely and to capture that for anyone who might be encountering it without those assumptions of how these things usually go is really helpful and can be really helpful to folks who are trying to soak up every piece of knowledge that they can at that kind of early career stage. I saw that when you were with Outreachy, you were set up with Mozilla and Mozilla is a very open source first company. And I was just wondering, like, how has that kind of shaped your career? Having that internship, was it pivotal or was it just like a, oh, that's cool. That was a nice experience. (laughs) For me, it was absolutely crucial. It was absolutely pivotal in the sense that I didn't go on to work full-time at Mozilla. Some folks do that have gone through Mozilla Outreachy, ended up working at the organization full-time. Of course, this was back in 2016 that I interned with them. So a few things have changed in the interim. But anyway, the main thing I would say 
that internship was so beneficial for me, other than the connection with Mozilla and meeting people who are working on some of the most exciting projects out there in terms of browser engines and experimental programming languages. And this new Rust thing was coming out. All of that stuff was just so cool to be exposed to and really opened my mind up as to where the web could be going. But additionally, it was my first context of really being part of an engineering team. In this case, it was a platform engineering team at the time. I think it's called something else now. But my particular project was working on, at the time, the test runner for automated testing of Gecko, the browser engine behind Firefox. So working on testing infrastructure, essentially, a test automation infrastructure, learning how to contribute to a very large and complex code base like the Firefox code base and the many different subcomponents that it has and the many different components that those components have and all of this complexity. If I had just been tasked with, okay, join IRC and just like poke around Firefox, even though it's all open and it's all there, that would have been so overwhelming to me that I'm not sure how much value I would have gotten out of it. But having a dedicated mentor who I had, I think, one-on-one every week, I believe, or every two weeks, if I'm not mistaken, that I could ask whatever questions I needed to, that I could get a reference check of, am I thinking about things in the right way? Have I understood this correctly? These are my plans. Does this make sense? Having someone who could be my kind of touch point and my yeah mentor through all of that was just amazing. And being able to be inside of a huge open first organization like Mozilla but have a small team. There was about three or four of us on the team that I was working on and have one of those people be my dedicated mentor. That was my first experience of what it feels like to actually be part of an organization that's tasked with not only building software, but also doing it in the open in a place where you have to explain your work and explain your decisions and things like that. So I think that that really stood me in great stead going forward to be more aware of kind of all of these complex processes, I'll feel a little bit more confident to be a quote unquote real member of an engineering team. That definitely helped in terms of building my awareness, my skills, of course, but also my confidence in being able to be a valuable contributing member of a project like that. And through the next few years, when I worked at a couple of other companies as an engineer. I actually did end up at a company for a while. I was working at Mapbox, which is also was the time sort of had an open source strategy as well. And I was, I ended up working on one of their open source projects. And I think that in general, all of what I was exposed to at Mozilla of how a huge organization can manage a hugely complex collection of technologies helped me kind of later in my career when I found myself in the position of being one of the maintainers of a large, relatively complex open source project at a not quite as large, but still, you know, organization. And I think that they have a huge influence on the industry. And I hope that more folks get the chance to have like Mozilla outreachy internships as I did. But even so, I think it just the brief time that I spent there definitely helped me have a better understanding of how to belong and how to communicate about my work in a large organizational context like that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's actually really good to have all of this perspective and all of this context because you are so eloquent. And I know eloquent is a word that's not great, but you're really good at putting together all of your history and what you suggest in just this 
beautiful package. And what oh, I've noticed is that I wonder about it because you're so good at it that I can see why you went on to become like a conference speaker a lot and to go and talk about these things. And I'm curious when people give to Outreachy or when they decide to sponsor new contributors to open source, do you think they're looking for you or is it still worth doing if that person doesn't go on to say market for that company by saying, yeah, I had a great time at Mozilla. Why would companies give money to these programs if the person doesn't go on to say it was the best experience of my life? What do you think? Well, I certainly don't feel that I have done a lot of promotional work for Mozilla. And I also don't, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was the best time of my life or anything like that, but it was certainly a formative time in my tech career for sure. And I think the path that I took in my life went through things like being a teacher for many years. And so when I landed in the tech industry... I kind of very naturally fell into trying to explain the things that I had learned, trying to teach some of the concepts that I found difficult, some of the things that I struggled to learn, trying to make those easier for the next person to understand so they don't have to go through the head on desk banging moments that I've had, or at least not as many of them. I think we're all in store for some amount of that. So personally, I think that's where I kind of naturally fell into that. But I think that One of the great things about a program like Outreachy is that different projects are able to look and select for all kinds of different people and different perspectives and different skill sets that they might need on their projects. So I didn't particularly work on a project that was looking for someone who is going to be kind of out in the open talking about it a lot. Although at the time, and I'm not sure if this is still the case, but at the time, one of the requirements in Outreachy was that you did need to kind of blog throughout your internship. And that I found very useful. Also, as an educator, it was a great kind of accountability (laughs) moment to be making sure that I'm actually sharing what I'm learning with other folks. So if that's still happening, then I think you do get kind of a disproportionate rate of people who are going to be excited to do things like that. But at the same time, different projects can be looking for the different skills that they need that they're maybe lacking on their team at the moment or that they could just use a little bit of additional capacity in. So mine was a a software development internship, but there are also internships for things like docs. There are internships for even kind of marketing or or kind of financial side of things. I've seen some projects have folks come in that are more concerned with like, how do we make sure that awareness around this project is going the way that we want it to? How do we make sure that contributors have a good experience and that we have all of our meta docs set up on contributing and how we run the project and things like that? So I think that one of the great things about sponsoring an outreachy project is that your team can really decide, and maybe it's a team of one, maybe it's a huge organization, you can really decide like what kind of capacity you're actually in need of at the moment and what kind of people are going to be a good fit for that and what kind of different perspective that you don't have on your team is going to be useful addition at this moment or for this particular project. So one of the things that I love about Outreachy is that it's not just limited to a particular type of contribution, like let's say writing code. It is really open-ended and really takes into account the fact that it takes so many different hats to successfully run a sustainable, large open source project. And I think it allows organizations and projects to really kind of think a little bit differently about how they would like folks to contribute, to scope out a project, to know that they'll have somebody coming in for three months that's going to be dedicated to this. They're not going to disappear halfway through or something like that. It's kind of a nice win-win for both parties because often 
in my experience, as a consumer, let's say, as a layperson, yes, in the open source world, often there isn't always that luxury of being able to really scope out a certain body of work, select a person to come in who's going to come in for three months and do this work full time, bringing in kind of a different skill set and different perspective based on what it is that you need. I think like having that level of project planning could be really useful for a lot of different organizations and a lot of projects that they maintain. So being able to do that, being able to really make space for a particular project and being able to be very aware of what skills are going to be needed on that project and who might be a great fit for those skills is, I think, one of the advantages of sponsoring a outreachy intern. I love that. I love all the advice <laughs> you've given that's not just about large programs and sponsoring someone, but also just how to make your open source project a bit better. And I love thinking about the life cycle of projects and life cycling of contributors as not something where it always has a terminal end in maintainer, but sometimes just has an end in having a better community and having a more diverse contributorship. Mm. Uh, and then you get for free, you get people going out and being like, wow, not only is this great open source tool, a really great tool, but it's also a really great community. And if you're looking for a project to contribute to as a first timer or as a newbie, go hang out over there on their GitHub or wherever it, it may be. So I think there are definitely these network effects when people have a good experience as a contributor, when they feel like a project was really there for them and not just kind of you know, I think a lot of problems and I really empathize with open source maintainers because they have this terrible feeling sometimes it's completely justified that people are just using their work and getting a lot of value out of it and then coming in to not even say like, thank you for spending all of your nights and weekends on this project, but why doesn't this one really particular edge case on my ancient piece of computer history, why does this not work? And like, I'm angry about it. Oh, and, that's, that's <laughs> if they're lucky. Exactly. Usually they yep. just go straight for the juggler. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a terrible experience, of course, right? And it's something that I think turns a lot of people off of maintaining open source projects. But similarly, it can be really frustrating as a contributor, especially if you're a newbie, especially if you don't have, let's say, a CS degree from Stanford or something like that, that gives you kind of a feeling of, I belong here. I have the piece of paper that says that I am not an imposter. If you're coming in from a non-traditional background or if you're just getting your feet wet or perhaps maybe you haven't even worked in a company or with a large group of people before and you're trying to do something valuable and then let's say your PR that you put up perhaps preemptively, perhaps without the requisite discussion in the requisite channels where those discussions happen, that you put up this PR that you worked on and you spent all this time trying to help and maybe for whatever reason ends up just getting closed without comment or we're not going to do this right now or some very curt comment like that and really takes all the wind out of your cells where you're left wondering, okay, why isn't this a good contribution? How could it have been better? What could I have done differently? And so I think like there's a lot that we can do from both sides of that coin to see that this isn't like just a transactional, you give me code, I give you, I don't know, undying respect and admiration or whatever it is. It's a community, right? The whole thing is a community. What we're doing, what whatever it is that we're building, whatever tool it is that your project works on or whatever community you may or may not feel like you have in an open source project, it is a community. It's done in the open. It's not done in a cave of solitude where no one else can enter and see. It is human interaction every time we contribute to something, whether that be as just saying thank you to somebody on Twitter or whatever it is, or whether it's 
closing a PR without comment. Like these are all human interactions that we're having. And I think the more that we can be conscious of that and the more that we can be aware of the perspectives of other people when they're coming into these communities and these spaces from both sides, right? The more aware that we can be as users of open source software of the experience of maintainers and how much hard work goes into it and how thankless of a job it usually is, the more we can be empathetic to people who are, you know, don't necessarily know the rules of the road yet in terms of how to contribute in these spaces or in these projects and how we can make that easier for people, how we can make it more accessible and less scary, how we can make it available as an option for people who are not, let's say, single men living with their families with lots of time on their hands. These sort of questions of like, how can we be more empathetic to each other, given that this is a human communal experience we're all having, I think is something that we could all just do better to spend a lot more time thinking about. Well, I'm certainly grateful for you for coming on here. Thank you so much for talking. This has been amazing. It's been really cool. We are running up on time, so I do need to cut you off. But don't worry, the conversation can't continue because you are available on the interwebs and you can talk (laughs) about things that are really cool. If I were a guest and I wanted to look you up, where would I find you on Twitter, Mastodon, email, website, whatever? Yeah, so I am on Twitter for now. Anjana Vakil, my first and last name because I am not creative with internet handles. And I'm also on GitHub, Vakila, Vakila, so V-A-K-I-L-A. And I am generally around the, I guess you could say, conference circuit. (laughs) So you, I often share on Twitter places, talks that I've given recently. But you can also find a lot of my past talks and my past random musings on programming paradigms, functional programming, JavaScript, etc., on YouTube in various conference channels. So if you search on Geneva Kills programming in YouTube, you'll usually find some of my past work there. So those are the places where I tend to be. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll have those links in the show notes for everyone. Anjana, this has been amazing. It's been super great to hear your perspective. Super great to hear where your life has taken you and how awesome <laughs> it has been. Don't sign off just so yet. This, yeah, no, thank you. Like, really, this was great. But we also have an ending part of the show called Spotlight, where we don't just thank you and whatever. We also thank all the people who helped us out in the past. So this is for projects or people which we feel just need a bit of love. So, Justin, what's your spotlight today? My spotlight today is Warp, which is the 21st century terminal for Mac OS. And it's pretty amazing. They have like this AI search. Instead of like putting in the command, create 10 different text files, doing like a for loop, you just basically say, I want to create 10 different files that end in .md and it just does it for you. So it's pretty cool. Just go to warp.dev and download it. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mine is Urban. Urban Huang is the first person I met who went to the Recurse Center. I remember being totally confused for like a month. I was hanging out with him and I'm like, what are you working on? He's like, I'm working on an algorithm. I'm like, yeah, but for what? He's like, no, no, it's just an algorithm. That's what I'm working on. And I'm like, but for a company or something? He's like, no, I just want to make sure it works right. And that was my first introduction to Recurse is someone who's just like curious about something that they want to figure out for themselves. I never found out what the algorithm was. He was still working on it. You can follow Irvin on Irvin.quest. I'm Irvin, wherever you are in the world. Hope you're doing well. Anjana, do you have a spotlight today? 
Yeah, well, I know we've been talking about it quite a bit, but I feel like my ever spotlight, other than the Recurse Center, Recurse.com, in the open source world specifically, although fun fact, Recurse Center does also have a requirement that when you're there, you can work on whatever you want as long as it's open source. But I would say the organization that, yeah, again, I, in addition to Recurse Center, would not be here talking to y'all on this podcast had I not encountered it is Outreachy, outreachy outreachy.org. And I just love to tell people to shout Outreachy from the rooftops. So whether it is in the programs that you are a maintainer of, finding ways that you could perhaps find the means to sponsor an intern, or whether it's just something like, for example, if you have a few extra hours during Outreachy application cycles and you could be around to coach applicants on their contributions, their applications, just shouting that out on Twitter or in whatever other spaces you operate in, I know would be just so meaningful to so many people in the community. And of course, if you or someone you know is looking for a paid remote internship and is a member of an underrepresented group in tech, please, 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 please encourage them to check out outreachy.org. For me, a lot of the value of Outreachy came from before I even got accepted into the program. And fun fact, I applied twice to Outreachy. The first time I did not get accepted. And then I applied six months later and I did get accepted. And even from that first failed round, I learned so much just by reading about the different projects and trying to make my first PR on GitHub and just learned so much about the ropes from even attempting to apply to Outreachy. So I strongly encourage anyone, whether you're eligible or not, to check out Outreachy, check out the programs that participate, check out the organizations behind them, check out their open source projects, poke around, learn what you can. And yeah, if it sounds like a good fit, I highly recommend the internship program. Thank you so much. This was absolutely excellent guests. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any thoughts, please do share them with us. You can email us at podcast.sustainoss.org. You can go on discourse.sustainoss.org to check out our discourse forum. The emails will go to any of us, all the hosts, which would be super cool. And you can also reach out to Anjana, of course, on Twitter, GitHub, Mastodon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're interested in these conversations, I feel like I shouldn't use Twitter anymore, but Sustain OSS is still our Twitter account. And you also can find this podcast wherever podcasts are sold. So please go ahead and like it. It does help our views, whatever that means. You can find show notes on podcast.sustainoss.org. We'll have some of the links that were mentioned in this today. If you have any other thoughts, please send us a line. And Anjana, once more, thank you so much. This was excellent. And I hope you have an excellent day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you.